Love of God, we want to thank you um, for this opportunity. Here we are, able to come uh, in, in strange circumstances, uh, in strange environments, uh, caution and all those kind of things, but we are able to come and gather as your people, give expression to the to the faith that you have placed in us. We're looking at how your word shapes us and how, and how that isn't just some dry and inert thing, but creates life. Uh, as today we'll look at how it, how it imparts and, and helps us understand grace uh, through your word and the opportunity to come here and just look across the room and see other people who are, who are experiencing and doing the same thing, who know the same God, whose lives are being transformed through the same redeeming grace and there is no other place and no other opportunity to share that with each other. And so as this year moves on, our prayer is that more and more uh, we would be able to gather and gather well and gather strongly. But this morning as we come uh, before your word, we thank you that we can come in here. We also thank you for the means of the online uh, capabilities. We're able to still stream into houses where, where people are able to, to connect uh, with your word and with your church. And we are super grateful for that. And we know it's a necessity as well. Uh, we just pray that your spirit would speak to us now uh, this morning as we have a, a little dip into this psalm. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, we are in our summer psalm series at the start of every year. We get into the psalms and we have a little bit of a fossick around in there. It's, how, it's a bit of a rhythm that we've got here at Freeway now. And if you want to know the reasoning uh, behind that, you need to go and have a listen to last week's message. I won't rehash that again. But this year, rather than sort of selecting, normally we would select three or four different psalms and we, we look at what each psalm had to say to us. But this year, we're, we're just going into one psalm. And it just happens to be the longest longest psalm uh, in, in the Bible, uh, Psalm 119. It has a 176 verses, uh, which is actually the length of the first 18 psalms uh, in, in the psalms there. Uh, if you were to grab all those 18 psalms, they would equate to the length of just Psalm 119. And if we were just to read Psalm 119, like Venlo just read one portion of it and then a few little selected bits, we would find that it would take about 18 to 20 minutes just to read through this psalm if you're if you're like a fluent reader I kind of thought about that and I thought man I could just read you the psalm um, because I'm a slow reader that would be about 20 to 25 minutes and that's just the perfect sermon slot you know and we could just close in prayer and 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 go and and happy times there's more content in Psalm 119 than I could ever really hope to address uh, in the month of the Summer Psalms series. Um, in fact, Augustine, uh, who was one of the greatest theological minds that ever lived, we get a lot of our theology and a lot of our thinking from Augustine, he dodged Psalm 119 when it came to having to preach or, 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 or um, teach through the Psalms. He conceded that trying to explain a hundred and Psalm hundred and Psalm 119, some COVID fog brain thing happening, um, always exceeded his powers. So, so wonderful a psalm, he said. It's such a good psalm. Why, why would we need someone to try and, uh, you know, preach about it? Better just have a reader and a listener and away we go. So, you know, he's no slouch. Maybe we should have just done that, read the psalm and you listened. Charles Spurgeon, he's considered the, the prince of preachers. He wrote 398 pages on this psalm alone in his commentary, the, you know, the treasury of David. 
And as I was kind of wandering around, I discovered a lad by the name of Hugh Jones. Hugh R. Jones. He's an Emirates professor of practical theology at Westminster Seminary uh, over there in California, America. He's got no less than 20 separate podcasts uh, digging in, diving in to this psalm. As we said last week, Psalm 119 is the, it's the Mount Everest of the Psalms, and not just because of its length, but because of its depth, uh, because of its beauty, uh, the valleys and ridges uh, of experience, which the psalmist in them is, is, is personally addressing God uh, about the faithful uh, ministry of God's word into his life. As we said, the psalm is written in an acrostic poem. It's, it's 28 um, sections long, and each section, eight verses long, and they're all based on the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. If you look in your Bibles, you'll see at the top, uh, uh, Wa or Vav was what uh, Venlo read from this morning, and below that, eight verses. And they're all kind of, that's how it's structured up. But the psalm itself doesn't have a systematic development of thought, but it's more like a compendium, uh, if you like, of things that we might, of one, you or I might say to God in different times and in different uh, experiences, in different times and experiences of freedom, of affliction, uh, gratitude, protest, praise, commitment, confession of sin. And these are all addressed personally to God as, as though he's a present reality, um, a present reality that God's word provides a present reality of, of graciousness, of his unshakable faithfulness uh, to the psalmist in his life. And we described that as being like a string of pearls last week, which each of these sections having its own uh, uh, individual but equal value, which is why Hugh Jones can preach 20 separate messages from this one psalm. However, the psalm has one overarching theme that the author keeps returning to uh, and examining. And in that sense, the psalm, uh, reading this psalm is more like looking through the different uh, faces of a diamond. And I know you're thinking, oh my goodness, could he possibly uh, come up with any more analogies for this psalm? It's a mountain, it's a string of pearls, now it's a diamond. Uh, no wonder Augustine just said, look, just read this psalm. But for all its complexities, it does have that one overarching theme uh, that Warren Wearsby in his little commentary sums up nicely, and that is this. It is the vital ministry of the Word of God in the inner spiritual life of God's people. The vital ministry of the Word of God to shape us, shape the way and the walk of, of the author and by extension of you and I, its future readers, with the very character and the very personality of the Word that is ministering to them. In fact, out of the 176 verses, 171 of them celebrate or give expression to this ministry that we're talking about, this ministry of God's written and revealed world to, to shape the life of God's children, the children that he loves with its very nature, with its very power. And we're asking the question as we begin this year, what is shaping us you know, what is it that we are pouring into our lives uh, to have that shape us? What is the content? You know, what kind of Netflix, what kind of uh, podcasts, what, what, what is it that we are listening to, absorbing, taking in? 
What is it that we are setting our minds on, as Paul writes in Colossians 3 there? What, what captures us? What is it that we are seeking first uh, is Jesus' challenge as he moves towards the end, the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. What is it that our hearts are seeking first above all other things? Whose influence are we being shaped by? You know, what kind of relationships? Who are we rubbing shoulders with? Who are we, who are we spending time with, uh, as the writer of Hebrews writes in, in Hebrews 10? What are the things that are shaping us? In our look at Psalm 119, um, we are discovering, we are seeing that, 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 that it is the, the ministry of the Word of God that um, is, it should be shaping us. And last week, we looked at how God's Word shapes us in delight. The Word of God, uh, the full counsel uh, of the God, which the psalmist uh, often calls the law of God, has in us this delight-producing effect. As we cultivate an appetite for the Word of God, uh, and we see that on repeat throughout the psalm, um, as we feed upon the Word of God, we actually give the Holy Spirit something to work with in our hearts. And He enables us to both encounter and obey God through the illuminating of God's words in our hearts. Like it's, a, it's, it's not magic, this stuff. It, it's actual, it's, it's, it's real realities taking place. This week we're going to look at how the law of God uh, shapes us in grace. That if it were not for the law, if it was not for the word of God, the ministry of God's word, we would have no categories uh, for defining grace. We would have no um, um, ultimate understanding and experiencing of grace. Often we think, and often we think, um, when we think of grace, and how it is that we can be shaped by grace, the Old Testament, even if it is the Psalms, is not where we would naturally head to uh, to be shaped by grace uh, as we understand it, as it exists in the Christian faith. In fact, and there's, you know, p plausible reason for that, you know, in, in the 130 uses of the word grace, um, just the word, not so much the, the description of it and the application of it, in the ESV at least, seven of those are actually found uh, in the Old Testament in the Hebrew word hen, or uh, I don't know how to pronounce the other one, but it's there, noam. 124 of those words are in the New Testament in the Greek word charis. 86 of those words, 86 of those appearances, actually come from the pen of the Apostle Paul, which means two-thirds of all of the uses of the word grace in the Bible are actually from one author, Paul. So no wonder, no wonder he is called the, the apostle of grace. And no wonder when we want to talk about grace, we tend to gravitate uh, to the New Testament, to books like Romans and Romans 3, Romans 5 and Romans 11, just big grace chapters, Corinthians, Ephesians. And we tend to gravitate to the Gospels uh, where, we, where we encounter Jesus, where, where John introduces Jesus as the Son of God full of grace of grace and truth indeed in jesus we have received grace upon grace the law was given through moses but grace and truth they came through jesus and no doubt the person of jesus and the cross are where the grace of god is made known and encountered and, and shapes us uh, in in its most supreme way However, to read uh, these verses to mean that grace is exclusively a New Testament concept uh, would 
be to do a great disservice uh, to what is true about the Old Testament, namely that it is saturated with a message of, of the reality of God's grace. It would do, also do a great disservice to what is true about God, namely that God can be trusted because God never changes his approach towards us. God has always been, is today, and will always be forever gracious. And that is the consistent picture uh, that we get of God from Genesis right through to Revelation. When it comes to grace, grace is not something uh, that God has become or that God has you know, brought into effect later on in the game. It is something that he has always been, always is, and always will be. And that is because grace is not a thing that is separate from God. Grace is not stuff you know, that God... Uh, calls on uh, to use, you know, you grab some grace out of my celestial cupboard or something or other. It doesn't exist separate from God. Grace is God. You cannot know grace apart from God. The grace we encounter in the Bible is the good pleasure of God that inclines him freely to bestow his benefits, his blessings, his kindness and his favor on on, on the undeserving and we call it God's unmerited favor grace is as Jeremy Treat from the Gospel Coalition describes the sharing of who and what God is with us grace is God giving of himself most significantly even when we don't deserve it the often repeated definition of grace as, un, as an undeserved gift captures this but it doesn't go far enough when referring to the grace of God. Grace is a gift, but, but God is not only the giver of this gift, he is himself the gift. He is himself grace. And as we saw last week with the help of Tim Chiles, the law of God, indeed all of scripture, is God's character externalized, revealed. It comes to us from the very heart and the mind of God. Its purpose is not first to tell us uh, what we must be and, and what we must do. That's not it at all. Its first uh, point of call, its first purpose is to tell us, first of all, who God is, what God is like. That's what the word, the law, all of Scripture does. It reveals who God is. And in that we get, as we read uh, Psalm 119, we see the psalmist painting a picture of grace, of a God who shapes uh, the psalmist's life with a relentless presence and power of undeserved favor. The psalmist is well aware that his conduct doesn't always match his desire, his, his desire for, the, for God's law, to live out God's law. I have gone astray like a lost sheep, the psalmist said. My soul clings to dust like he's gone astray. He's done wrong. He, he recognizes this. But what he also recognizes is revival, redemption, restoration are not pictured as coming from the psalmist's efforts, but from the ministry of God's word to seek out the wandering servant, to correct him. The law is not a weapon in the hands of an angry judge, but it's a tool of grace being used by a loving father to correct, to call back, to instruct, to restore, to renew. 
to share his very heart, his, his, his self with this wandering rebel. In Psalm 119, we see the psalmist understands the doctrines of being justified by grace, of our desperate need for God to act for us and on our behalf, for God to empower us to live according to his law. The doctrines of grace, so prolific in the New Testament, are well established and understood by the psalmist long before Paul ever taught them in Romans, in Corinthians, in Ephesians, and these various books. The psalmist is not asking for anything based on, on his own character and his own conduct, his ability to keep the law, but on the known character, the revealed character of grace that is found in the law of God. The precepts, the commandments, the words, that's, that's where he's going. Grace is not gained by obedience. Rather, grace originates as a gift found in God. And, and takes form in us as one shaped by that word of God. We read there, as, as Venlo read, read to us, let, let, it's, a, it's, it's from God, let your love come to me, your salvation according to your word. Give me life according to your promise, according to your rules, according to your steadfast love, which is a phrase that is on repeat in Psalm 119. Uh, often the word has said, the has said of God is, is translated that with your steadfast love. And it's a shorthand way of describing the graciousness of God towards his people. When the psalmist wants to find life, comfort, courage, strength to shape his life, to deal with affliction, uh, to find wisdom. God has given him in his word his steadfast love to him to, to, to shape him to be what holds him in place. When the psalmist thinks he is down and out, it is the word of God that will revive him, lift him up out of the dust, get him back on his feet. Uh, David Shorrock observes that most explicitly the psalmist's pleas for grace is on the basis of God's word. The psalmist recognizes that the power to keep God's precepts is not something that he musters up inside of himself, but again, it is something given to him. It is grace, and it comes to him via the word of God. It is not our promises to God, but his promises to us that will give us victory over sin, that will give us the answers in the face of taunts and criticisms, that will give us courage to speak in the presence of power, to engender worship and to produce hope. Grace is not just a description of God. It is also his power in the life of of the psalmist, in the life of us, in the life of Christians, to live as God would have us live. It's not just an aid or a fill-in that, that, that comes and just kind of, you know, fills up the gaps that we possibly weren't able to achieve in ourselves. But it is something that must shape every moment of our lives. In grace, God seeks us out. And in grace, God preserves us. And in grace, God sustains us and transforms us. And for the psalmist, that grace comes to him through, through the word, through, through the law, through, through the Torah. 
Obviously, for us, we have the full complement of it. We, we have also had the person of Jesus come to us, conveying the effectiveness of God's grace. We've had the work of the cross also, uh, you know, show us the extent and the love and the, of God's grace. But these things are never in the absence of his word. It's the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to minister to our souls, to enlarge our hearts with God's grace and his favor towards us. If we wish to have lives that are shaped by grace, we actually need to spend time in that grace, with that grace, being shaped by the word of God, which, which, is, God, which is God's grace that, that seeks us and also serves us and forms in us the hearts of faith and, and the things that we need to live out this Christian life well. It is incredibly encouraging that God's grace is both the inclination of the divine heart to treat us better than we deserve and it's also the extension of that inclination to give us practical helps. And part of that, and that is found in his word to us. In Psalm 119, we learn that God's word is how God shapes us in an understanding and an experience of his undeserved favor and blessing in ways that enable us to continue to pursue the life uh, that his word sets out for us. To be shaped by the word of God is to be shaped by the God of grace. And if you're here and, and you're asking the question, how is it that I, you know, we talk about grace? How is it that I can be shaped for it? How is it that I can know it? How is it that I can encounter it? The simple answer is the answer that came to Augustine. Pick up and read. Pick up and read. Like, <laughs> literally spend time in the Word of God. We are talking about being shaped we want to start this year about what's shaping us. Pick up and read. Go to the Word of God, and there you will find the ministry of grace to us. And next week, we're going to help you out with that a little bit. And I haven't confirmed this, so this could be an awkward moment. But I'm hoping to be able to convince Kurong <laughs> to let us have some uh, study Bibles and some journals and some various tools uh, here that you'll be able to buy that, that will aid you, that will help you, that will assist you in spending time in God's Word. We want to equip you. We don't want to just sit up and go, go and do it. If you don't have the tools to get it done, we want to help you out. In a few weeks' time, we're going to be looking at how we shape each other. Next week, we're going to be looking at how the Word of God shapes us with courage. And then we're going to be looking at how we shape each other. How, how, how is it that we need to be coming together to having conversations, Bible studies, things like that, that we shape each other in this faith? Coming attractions, let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that it is not just some dry text uh, that we absorb intellectually and we pack it away like we have actually uh, had some kind of command over it. But rather, as the writer of Hebrews says, it's alive. It's doing something. Uh, and in us, as we read it, what it is doing, one of the things that it is doing, it is 
shaping us in your grace. As we read through your word, as we discover and see um, the whole story of Jesus and God's love towards us there, we see grace. As we uh, read through the cross, we see grace. As we see how God just uh, rescued uh, the Hebrews out of Egypt, they didn't lift a finger. He did it all. Were they deserving of it? No. Grace. Here is a story of a God who moves consistently towards us with grace, but not just in an exercise to say, this is what grace looks like, but in an exercise to say, come and drink deeply of it. Come and encounter it and be shaped by it, that it might um, begin to shape the way you live out your lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.